Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. Hi, I'm Chase, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater and bulimic. And so nervous. I've been all day like, ah! so I'm just glad to get started. Um, anyways, I'll keep it simple as I was told by my sponsor. What happened, what it was like, what it's like now. I hope something I say will help somebody. Um, I think the beauty of this program in these rooms is that none of us are alone, although we do feel alone at times, but that we don't have to be alone and that we have such a great supportive fellowship in here. Um, you know, I knew, I think, at around age six or seven, I had a different relationship with food than most people. I remember being at play dates or parties and noticing how I would obsess about the food and want more, and other kids wouldn't. And, bless you. And just being at different occasions and the food just calling to me. And I noticed it was different. Um, and, you know, I come from a lot of addiction in different ways, and for me, it was always food. I never tried drugs, drinking I could care less about, but for me, that was how I got my release. And I just knew at a young age something was different, and I felt different, and I've always kind of been very intuitive, and I knew something was different with me than other kids, you know? Like, I was overly excited at Sunday school for the stupid little Girl Scout cookie and the two ounces of grape juice, but, like, little things like that were things I looked forward to. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons the stuff started with the food was that, you know, I think like a lot of us, there was a lot of trauma early on, and that's how I coped. Um, you know, I, we had a housekeeper that was physically abusing both my brother and myself, and my mom had no idea, and she found out when a child services came knocking on the door because our neighbors had complained, and... I know my brother's end, she had tried to drown him several times as a baby, and on my end, you know, being locked in a closet. And so, you know, how do you cope? You have food. And I don't know if there was any sexual abuse that went on. I always kind of wondered. But that, and along with other stuff in early childhood, like, you know, when that happened, my mom blamed herself and became severely anorexic in the process, you know, got down to 80 pounds, and with that and ulcerative colitis almost died. So, you know, my early childhood was trauma. And so I needed something to cope, and it was the food. And so early on, that's kind of what it was. And it was always, you know, sugary, sweet, the combination. And there just was never enough of it, never enough. Um, like the bottomless pit. And the same felt with, like, the insecurity and emotion, too. Just bottomless pit, never enough. And, you know, I always was a very normal-looking child. I was very muscular naturally. I was not heavy, but I felt heavy. I was in ballet class. I don't know whether a six-year-old feels fat and too heavy because they're naturally muscular. But I had those things going on, and I was always very aware of what other people ate and what they looked like and what was going on with me. And I think what kind of really changed was I think in about fifth grade, I remember being at the beach at the time with my mom and her boyfriend and his family, and I wouldn't take my shirt off over my bathing suit. And it got to the point where the body shame or the insecurity became greater than I was. And I was aware of it, you know, and I could tell you that day at the beach and I was focusing on what the food was and not wanting to take more because I didn't want people to think I was eating so much or, you know, just kind of all tied back. So, but I think that's when something really, for me, really clicked, switched. Like, something just went off, and it just wasn't there. So, 
you know, I was never really heavy. I think, you know, by seventh grade I was maybe 10 pounds overweight. But at that point I started having a phobia of going to the doctor and getting on the scale, like to the point where, you know, it would be like anxiety-ridden and it would be all I could think about. So what basically happened was, you know, the food was what I had. And, you know, I was in fourth grade and my parents divorced and split and it was just like more trauma, you know, and just... So what basically then ended up happening was it became all about the food and it became about becoming the perfect student. So my story is about like forgetting the body obsession and food obsession. It was great obsession, being the best student, being the best daughter, being the best granddaughter, being the best sister, being the best friend. You know, had the perfectionism. And I came from a very loving family, you know. I had grandparents that were second parents to me and we saw each other several times a week and talked every day. I mean, I came from a lot of love. So, you know, a lot of this is, you know, the question is, you know, why does, you know, why does addiction happen? You know, is all this enough? And then it happens. But, you know, I have a brother who's now, you know, recovering alcoholic and drug addict and all these other things. So I don't know if I did have a chance or not. But I do know that I always need something to fix. I need something to take my pain away or to numb. I don't like to feel... You know, the fear will take me out. The vulnerability will take me out. Um, and so I like to numb. So basically by seventh grade, like I said, I was maybe 10 pounds overweight, if that. And between the summers of seventh grade and eighth grade, I had gone away to sleepaway camp. And I'm writing my mom's letters, like I'm eating like a pig, I'm eating like a truck driver. And, you know, in the meanwhile, I'm in this swim thing where I'm exercising every day. So she comes to visitor's day expecting to see me, like, chunked out. And I'm, like, 90 pounds, racehorse, you know, just cut muscles. And, you know, I came back from camp and, you know, I was like, oh, how can I keep the weight off? And that's when my anorexia started. That was it. And that was from 8th grade to 11th grade. And my whole life was starving, running, starving, running, just crazy. You know, I've been in this program anywhere from 90 pounds to 183. I identify with every aspect of this disease. But at that point, my life was, you know, in eighth grade, I was running five miles a day every morning before school. I was probably eating maybe around 800 calories. I had the fat phobia that if there was anything, I would be crying, having tantrums, you know, going shopping with my mom. To this day, I have to make amends to her because it would just, I'd be inconsolable, hating myself, the mirror. And, you know, the same thing, even looking like that, not wanting to get in a bathing suit is, you know, how I looked. Um, and it just kept going. And it was like that through 11th grade. And I've always been someone who's had friends, but I always had a hard time. You know, my disease a lot used to be the or. It had to be this or that. So it was either it was like the running and studying or being social. So like for me, like when I used to go to summer camp during the summer at sleepaway camp, that was one of my best memories because I was able to just really be there and focus. But what happened was, although I was a really good, caring, wonderful friend, I was present, but I wasn't present. You know, I was there, but I was checked out. Um, I've always been a kind person, but a lot of the things I did were because I didn't want you to leave me. I didn't want you to abandon me because for me, abandonment is key, and I wanted to be liked. And so there was always some type of underlying reason. So it wasn't completely legitimate. And when I did my first four-step inventory, I got the chance to look at that. And so with the beauty of what I get to do now is that when I do get to have an act of kindness or be generous or do a favor, it's really with loving intent, and it's not for something in exchange. 
Um, so basically, I'm in 11th grade, and I decided I quit running because I was so many injuries, and I was off the track and cross country team, and that's when the bulimia started. You know, I started binging out of control. For me, I never vomited because I say this, but I wouldn't have an esophagus left. Um, but for me, it was laxatives and exercise abuse. And, you know, it was, you know, 11th grade was starving all day. I would come home and be in the cabinets from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. And then, you know, and that's like when going to the nutritionist had started. And in um, 11th grade, my mom remarried. So even though he was wonderful and everything was good, it was more change. And I don't like change. I have a lot. It's very hard for me because it brings up fear. So um, basically, you know, the cycle continued. And I just was so miserable. I mean, the self-hatred and loathing is just unbearable. If I would ever see anyone else treating themselves like that, I wouldn't allow it. And the fact, when I look back and see how I did treat myself, it just, it makes me sick. Because we wouldn't allow any of us to treat each other like that. Um, you know, 12th grade started where I started the year at 120, which on my frame is very thin. And by June, you know, senior is 155. And I couldn't stop binging. The laxatives were out of control, you know, to the point where I'd take boxes at a time. I'd miss school because I couldn't get out of the bathroom. And then, you know, it only hit the point where, you know, you can only get rid of so much because I don't care how much you're eating, you know, through exercise or lack, you can only get rid of so much. So the waste is piling on. And our disease shows. You know, you can't walk down the street and be like, oh, gambler. Sex addict, alcoholic, doesn't always show. But, you know, when people look at me, you can tell how I'm doing based upon how I look. It shows. And by that point, you know, it was not good. So I would say, too, at that point, you know, I had gotten into therapy in my senior year. And let me say, I went to two OA meetings my senior year of high school in the beginning. I was 17. I came back in these rooms at 32 because I kept thinking, I'll get it, I'll get it. I always have been able to get everything else. I've been a hard worker, I'm an achiever, I do it, and I can't figure this thing out for the life of me, and I still can't with over three years of abstinence. I don't get it. They say cunning, baffling, powerful. It's true. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand why I can't get it. It frustrates me. But in the same point, it's very freeing because if I can't control it and I keep trying, I get nowhere. And if I can't control it and I give it up, I have some type of peace and serenity. So in between my... Um, senior year of high school and starting college that summer, I was a mess. The, I really, I, I was suicidal. You know, whether I said it or not, I wanted it. Um, it was the summer I came back from camp and I had been dating this guy and he dumped me for someone else, so I thought I'd show him. So I went and took a box, told, box of laxatives. I ended up in the emergency room of Cedar sinai having to drink a gallon of liquid charcoal so I wouldn't have, you know, three or four days of such horrific, you know, intestinal distress. And a few weeks later, I was at a weekend where I went to college at UC Irvine for like an orientation, and I came back and I fell asleep on the 405, and I woke up fishtailing between the fast lane and the center divider at 90 miles an hour, and my car spun and spun and spun, and I crashed in the center divider. Now, thankfully, I didn't hit anybody, and I wasn't hurt, but if that's not an unconscious suicide attempt, I don't know what is. And probably what happened was that morning at breakfast, I probably had so much crap that had flour and sugar that I was stoned out of my mind. And that's where this disease has taken me, and it's worst. So I started college, and my first semester there, you know, I had lost 15 pounds because I wasn't binging. But by the end of the year, it was back on, and 
I then started seeing a therapist there who put me on Prozac because I was battling with really bad depression. And then that helped with the bulimia. That was one of the reasons they had chosen that drug to help. But it just wasn't enough, and the stuff wasn't going away. You know, everything else in life was still the same. That was not changing. And, you know, by my sophomore year, I was living with two roommates, and one was thin and normal, and the other was 350 pounds. And by sophomore year of college, I was at 183. Because, you know, when you're standing next to a 350-pound woman, even at 183 on 5'3", which is huge, you look small. But that's how this disease is. It's weird, you know, because I wasn't looking at my thinner friends saying, ooh, let's, you know. And I knew something was wrong. And at the time, my stepdad's like, oh, why don't we try going to Jenny Craig? You know, I want to lose some weight, too. And, you know, I've done everything. I've done the no, I've done every diet. I mean, everyone who knew me in my teens could tell you I had willpower like they'd never seen before. So, I mean, I was like, whatever. So I went, and after, like, three weeks, and I was, con- I was constipated for three weeks, and I felt sick. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And I was like, it was kind of my way out. I was really excited. But what ended up happening is um, around the time my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer and it freaked me out beyond belief. And I said, okay, i got to do something about my weight. So I just stopped eating any fat. And in a year I lost 50 pounds and I was down to 130, which I mean is really thin. But it wasn't done normally. I never exercised. I mean, it was starving in its own way. And it was that crazy head again. Like if there was oil or any of that, I would cry. I was... Just miserable. And, you know, my whole life prior to program was thinking about calories, fat grams, what I ate, what I was going to eat, what my clothes look like, what do you eat, what did, you know, what did you have today, what do your clothes fit like. And, you know, I remember one of my best friends in high school I ran with, she was really naturally thin, like one of those weird people who naturally is stick thin. It used to drive me crazy. But she could eat anything and didn't have to exercise, and it would just – so – You know, so basically, you know, I lost the weight, and then for the next few years, it was, I couldn't stay at 130. It was every week, I was somewhere between 130 and 140. It was either binging my way up, I could gain 10 pounds in a week, or lose the same 10 pounds in a week. And losing it was through starving. I knew exactly, you know, it was like 800 calories, I could do it, but I couldn't hold on to it. And I couldn't, you know, it was the control thing. I couldn't stay, and it was just up and down and up and down. And my mom's like, you know, our family knows this great therapist who's really good at getting through specific issues. Why don't you go start seeing him? Because obviously there's a block there. And I've always been open to self-improvement and making myself better. So I went, and wouldn't you know, it was the Pandora's box when I went of everything starting to come up from my childhood. So, of course, the weight ended up going up. And then it was kind of like, I remember I'd binge before therapy, I'd binge after therapy, and it was like all this stuff coming out, and I didn't know how to handle the feelings because the stuff was so intense. And, you know, so basically it was more of that just continuing. And what got me in these rooms was I came in in July of 2005. You know, January of 2005 started with me ending up in the emergency room, what they thought was an, was an appendectomy, but it ended up I had ovarian cysts that had ruptured on both sides. And... I was just in such, and this was after being off of work for three weeks, going back like the day after vacation. So I was bedridden for the week, and then I had such guilt because a lot of what I have is the perfectionism and the people pleasing, like, what are the students' parents going to think, or what's my boss going to think? And so that's how my year started. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call from my mom that our, one of our closest family friends went up to bed to watch TV and died in the chair. And then two weeks later, um, my grandfather's cancer reoccurred, and that was in the end of January, and he died in April. And my grandfather was everything to me. He was my be-all, end-all. 
he was my savior. And that's what got me into this program because, you know, he died in April. And between April and June, you know, I had packed on, I don't know, like 25, 30 pounds. It was at the point I just, I couldn't stop binging. And I just couldn't stop eating. And it wasn't even a matter of, I didn't even care if I was exercising at that point or doing whatever. I just couldn't stop. And it got to be so uncontrollable. And I just was, I was dead. I was dead on the inside, you know, looking whatever on the outside, regardless of what weight was. I've always been very uh, vain. So I've always, you know, had the, the hair and the nails and whatever. But, you know, I would look very polished on the outside, but just wanting to die and just so unhappy. And I remember it was in June of 2005, and, you know, I'd gone to bring my grandmother dinner. And you know, after he passed, and just the fact of going over there without him there, and because he died in the apartment, and the whole thing, and I remembered we're just sitting at dinner, and she looked at me, and she goes, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Have you seen what you look like? What's happened to you? And she just was ripping into me, and I, I just left there, and I just was sobbing, and you know, go figure what happened. I went and bitched my brains out for the next two weeks or so. And I never told my mom what happened. And it came up in conversation. I said, Mom, it's not so much what she said. I understand what she's saying. I agree with her. I realize something's really not right here. I said, but it was how she approached it. I said, there's a lot to be said with how you say something. You know, you can say the same thing if it's in a different tone. And then a few days later, it was a Saturday, we, I was over and we were talking in the kitchen, and she just broke down crying. And she said, I'm so scared about your health. I'm really scared. She says, will you please go back to OA? And I said, yes. And I couldn't have said that before. I, you know, like, I knew something was really wrong, and I wanted to get better more than I wanted to stay sick. And it was a Saturday, and I remember I went to the movies with my dad and my brother the next day, and I said, you know, because my brother was in programs, so, and I had seen him, you know, take a year, and so I had somewhat of an idea, and I thought that these steps in this program worked, so I definitely had that more open than I would have been otherwise. And I remember going to the movies with him and saying, you know, I'm going to start going to OA. And my brother's like, see what meetings you can find tomorrow, call me when you get home. So I called, and this was a Sunday, and I called him and said, there's this great meeting called Serenity Sunday. It's a week from today at Roxbury Park because, of course, you know, it was close to my house. And he's like, Chase, no, uh-uh. And this is during the summer. I'm not, you know, I'm doing my own thing. I'm not working. He's like, you find something tomorrow. So I looked Monday, and my first meeting I ever went to, and I think it was like around July 25th or so, it was a Monday. It was the Monday night anorexic bulimic meeting in Westwood. And I walked in that room and I cried my eyes out for an hour. You know, I was very aware that I was the heaviest bulimic in the room and I hated that, hated that, because just the vanity at that point, you know. Um, but I sat in that room and I heard everything people said and I nodded and I just felt like a bobblehead like I do at most meetings because I heard what people said and I didn't care what your shell looked like, what color your skin were, your eyes were, what your upbringing was, what your current status is, what your job was. I heard my story. I heard that I wasn't alone. And... I knew I wanted something different. So, of course, you know, I binged throughout the whole day because I figured, oh, this is my last hurrah. I'm going to go to this meeting. And, um, you know, um, that was Monday. I got abstinent Sunday. I came to this meeting on a Saturday night, and I left, and that was the last binge I had. And that was July 30th, 2005. And, you know, for me it was easy because I knew what my triggers were. So I knew for me coming in it was... No white flour, no sugar, no binging or purging. Because I can't eat those things without going into that other behavior. 
And um, coming off a light, I mean, coming off a sugar, I mean, I don't have any um, experience with drugs, but, I mean, I can't imagine how coming off of drugs can be any worse. I mean, it's a detox. It was horrible. But, you know, I, what I realized is, you know, I was counting days, and it was a few days into program, and it was a Wednesday, and I swear God was talking through my brother. My brother called. Chase, you got a sponsor yet? No. I've asked a few people, Chase, it's not an I program, it's a we program, you need to find a sponsor. Okay, so I'm like, I'm sitting here eating dinner, it's a Wednesday night, I'm eating my afternoon dinner, and I look down at the 12-stepper, and it's 6.30, and there's a meeting at 7.30 in Westwood. So I went, I found my first sponsor that night. You know, I was sitting at a table, and there was this woman, and I'm like, her energy, like, dragged me in. And so I'm just looking at her, and I'm like, I asked her to sponsor me. So we met after the meeting, and she's like, here's what I do. I work a hardcore program. You know, she laid it out for me. I said, great. I said, I'm a hard worker. I always have been. I need lots of structure. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. So she goes, well, start calling me at 6.30 every morning. She gave me the list of the how, first 30 questions, you know, which are pretty intense questions. And I just started doing my step work. And I started calling every morning. We started going through the big book, reading and highlighting. I mean, if you look at my big book, it's just like, it, you know, it looks like a college text, but we really went through and we started talking about it, and I was working these steps, and then I just started to notice that things started to look different. Um, you know, I wasn't thinking about food every second of the day, or, you know, something would happen, and my first response wasn't, ooh, can I starve or can I go eat it out? Like, things just started changing, and, you know, I remember in the beginning, it's like, oh, four days, five days, and it's just like, you don't realize how long a day is sometimes till you give up something, and it's just unbelievable, and you're like, holy, you know, and I remember, and I remember um, I just started doing these steps, and then the weight just started coming off, and it wasn't even conscious, it wasn't like I was sitting there forcing it, like I've done before, you know, it was just happening, and I remember I went and checked my 30-day chip, and I think I cried through the entire thing, and then it just kept happening, and I just was working the tools. I was working the steps. I was calling my sponsor. She said she was available at 6.30 in the morning. That's when I called. I wanted to get better. What I was doing was not working. You know, what I was doing was not working, and I had a choice. I could either continue doing what's not working and moan and groan about it and not get results, or I had to be willing to try something different in the hopes that it could be better. And that's the thing about willing. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be something so small as one little step or just looking at something through a different set of eyes. And it just became those little things. What was I willing to do? And I just started doing the things. And I would call in the morning. If for whatever reason she wasn't there, I would still call and make my commitments. This is Chase. I'm calling today to commit to you know, binging, purging, white flour, wheat flour, sugar. And if it wasn't a weigh day, I wouldn't weigh. Because I still have issues with the scale. You know, I could get on the scale 15 times in a day. You know, is that right? Did I step on it correctly? Was it balanced? I didn't, I didn't urinate enough or, you know, I, I had too much sodium last night. And it's just the scale still drives me crazy. So I still battle with that one. But, you know, I just started calling and making my commitments every day of the week, whether she answered or not. Because I needed to know someone was hearing them. And I needed to know that I had to be accountable. Because all program is is behavior modification. Life doesn't change. People don't change. Situations don't change. What, we, what happens is we get these tools to live by, and we get to look through a different set of eyes. And so I had to change behavior. And a lot of changing behavior is extremely uncomfortable. I always know when I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I always say I'm doing something right. 
because, you know, when I'm feeling too comfortable, I sometimes have to look at it. There's a difference between feeling peaceful and serene or feeling too comfortable. So I have to look at these things. And I just started noticing that things started changing. And I realized, you know, which a lot of us realize, is it's really not about the food. I mean, that's what we can focus on and obsess about. But it's not about the food. It's the other stuff. And that stuff starts coming out. And what I had to start looking at was all this stuff in me. And for anyone who is starting on their steps or working, you know, I found for myself the most relief when I did my fourth step because it is, you know, coming from someone who literally was purging all the time, I got to emotionally purge. Like before it was physically purging over the stuff I wanted to purge emotionally but couldn't. And then it was having to really get in there. And like I said, I wanted to get better. I was going to do whatever it took. And I also knew, like for me, I'm task-oriented. And when something scares me, I don't want to do it. So I gave myself a timeline. I said, I'm going to give myself three months to do my four-step because I wanted to have it done and start giving it away, because I just needed something to work with. Because I had heard stories of people sharing in program, you know, I've been doing it for a year or seven months, and I thought, I don't want that. I came here to get better, and I can't get better by not doing these tools and working these steps. So I started my fourth step, and the way my sponsor had me do it, it was on eight and a half by 11 uh, paper, and it was yellow. It was apparently something in yellow. It was supposed to be very calm and soothing when you write, and it was unlined, because it was just supposed to be free-flowing you know, 200 pages later. And it's funny because you go into your inventory, and we all kind of have an idea of ourselves. Like, I knew for me it was going to be fear, resentment, people-pleasing. You know, didn't realize the ego was so huge that it had 80 pages of its own. But she had me go through each of the seven sins, and then I had to, you know, write on each of them. And, you know, I did it chronologically. You know, I started going through, you know, like, early elementary, then elementary, and middle school, and high school, and, like, I chunked it out like that because I could remember things. And I just, the stuff that was coming out was just frightening. Frightening. And it was, like, some of it was so embarrassing. And, you know, I felt really glad that I could trust my sponsor to share these things with her. Because for me, trust was, has always been a thing. And so I gave it away, and I just started to notice, like, you know, forgetting that weight had come off, just, there's a feeling in your soul when it feels like it's lost weight, you have an energy. We all have an energy and aura about us. And sometimes we can walk around, and I don't care if you weigh 20 pounds or 20 million pounds, you can feel that heaviness. And I just noticed that a lot of this heaviness started to go away. And it was so weird because there was, like, these certain girls in middle school who were just oh so nice to me, and I say that with all the sarcasm in the world. And I started running into them, like, one by one when I was doing my inventory. And wouldn't you know, most of them were so nice and friendly now. And it was just really interesting because I think what happens is we react to the situation as how we last remember it. And, you know, God knows what was going on in their lives at the time that they were acting like this. So I started running into these people that I was doing, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Because I'm like, this is not a surprise. And I was like, these were all these God shots happening. So I gave away my fourth step, and we were at my sponsor's house, and she goes, we're going to burn it. She wrote down everything I needed for my future steps, for my amends, and my character defects. So we started burning it. And it's really interesting because I'm very big on analogies. So we're burning these papers. And it takes a long time to burn 200 sheets. And what would happen is there would be like these papers and it would look like it was almost just about to extinguish and then it would just flare up again out of nowhere. And I think that's what happens inside. We don't realize how some of these things in our lives have affected us. 
that sometimes we feel like, okay, you know, I've dealt with it, or I feel okay with it, or it's better, and then it just explodes. And I just think it reminded me of that, because it was like, okay, these are the things I have to look at for me that sometimes feel okay and that will come up again. So, you know, bottom line is um, I've worked all the steps twice, and I just kept working in them. And I'm going to share my experience on my first set of the amend steps. Is, uh, God bless you. The way I did it, I don't recommend, and I'm saying this because, you know, my job in this program is to say something that will help someone in some way. And when I, you know, I work with my sponsees or whoever I talk to, and I'm always brutally honest because I figure if I can say something that's going to help somebody, you know, because we all have this stuff going on inside, and, you know, you never know what you're going to relate to. But, um, you know, I was starting my amends, and a lot of my amends were interesting because they were more self-amends, such as, you know, not picking, you know, crappy, unavailable, sadistic men, and, um, <laughs> you know, like not torturing my body on a daily basis and different things. And what had happened was, you know, like I said, I'm a perfectionist and overachiever, so I'm like, I'm going to make all my amends in a week and a half, and I really do not recommend that. Because what ended up happening was one of them was, um, and it was around the time of the Jewish um, holidays. It was our new year, and it's a time of cleansing and rebirth. So I decided to go to the childhood home where the abuse from the housekeeper happened, and I drove by there, and I was, like, saying prayers to, like, have God kind of lift it from me. And I didn't realize the effect it was having on me emotionally, and I started to get really bad anxiety. It was coming out big time. And then around the same time, um, the house we had lived in after that, um, where my parents decided to split, ended up going on the market. And I hadn't seen that house in like 20 years, so my mom and I went to see it. And that brought up stuff too. But part of it is I needed closure. I needed to go in there as an adult and look at it and leave. And although those things were great, it was a lot to process at once. And I started having um, severe panic attacks that were so debilitating that I had to go back on antidepressants. So my point is, is that the amends process is ongoing. And they say that if, you know, we make an amends, except if to do so would injure them or others. So sometimes it's not necessarily going and saying something to someone. It's on our behavior on a daily basis or our actions. And for anyone who does have amends to make, if you are going to make them, and a lot of them are heavy, space them out. I learned from my experience at the time that, and I looked back and my sponsor was like, what were you thinking? And exactly, I wasn't. I wanted just to get it done with. And it's like in program. The fast way is not the best way, you know. There's not a time limit on these things. It's not um, that they have to be done immediately. And there's no graduation date. And it's pacing it. But some of the stuff we don't realize the impact it has on it we've been holding around. So it's kind of like, and I think that's one of the things about being loving and caring and gentle to ourselves, is not only is having reasonable expectations. So... You know, the bottom line is when I got to do my steps again, you know, I got to look at things different. And the thing is, if you do stuff in this program, like when I did my next four stuff, it was 70 pages. And from 200, that's a big deal. And things didn't come up that came up before. And what recovery is, is that we work through these things and we have choices on how we want to get through. And... Um, you know, one of the things I've really learned in this program is, like I said, life does not change. I've been through, and I'm not exaggerating, about 10 deaths in this program. And I didn't lose my abstinence over any of them. You know, a year ago, or I'm sorry, a year ago in September, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And just, I thought I was going to die. I really thought I was going to die. And didn't know what it was going to happen. It was a good prognosis and everything, but it just spun me out of control. 
and I didn't gain a pound over it. I didn't gain a pound. Something like this, like, you know, when I looked back at my grandfather and 30 pounds, and I also didn't starve myself in a frenzy to and abuse myself. And that's what this program is, is that, you know, I can get to be uncomfortable, and I can get through these things, and although they feel like they might kill me, they're not going to. And, you know, this last year, you know, um, my grandmother passed away in June. And my entire summer and most of since has been spent having to clean out their apartment with my mom and deal with all this stuff, which is to say gut-wrenching is an understatement. But thank God for programming, like, you know, text messaging, because I can't tell you how many people I text when I'm over there and stay in contact or, you know, if it wasn't for this program, it's, for, it's very scary for me to think of where I would be right now. Um, this program has given me many gifts. Um, it's allowed me to see life through a different pair of eyes. I've always considered myself a very positive person, but I see things different. Because I think it's the only difference about program is the perspective. You know, it's how we choose to look at it. And, you know, I've been definitely given the gift of gratitude. I always was very thankful about things, but I can be grateful and look at things that I couldn't see before. You know, I make gratitude lists every night, and when I look at some of the things on there, you know, it's amazing. I can knock out 25 or 30 easily without thinking. Um, you know, I've just been given the gifts of compassion and empathy and just learning. And, you know, one of my struggles is having to deal with difficult people because, you know, we all have them. And it talks about in the big book how um, if you have a resentment towards someone, just start praying for them that they get everything they want in their lives and it will lift. And I know this is true because when I came into program, I had this woman I worked with, and to say she was my nemesis was an understatement. Like her job was she just wanted to make me miserable. I mean, she was like that with everyone, but it was like horrible. And, you know, I was a few weeks into program, and I walked into Serenity Sunday, and I saw her, and I seriously thought I was going to pass out. And I got to look at it as like, oh, that explains it. And I started praying for her every day, and it was totally lifted. And this is someone who used to bring me to, like, blood-boiling, like, primal anger. <laughs> and I would look at her, and I was like, oh, yeah. And she would kind of come in every now and then, like, how are you doing, and how's it going? And I was able to look at it. And I, what I realized is, like, you know, she's a really sick woman. And I got to kind of, you know, look at that. But that's what program's done, is that I don't have to like everybody or agree with them, or feel comfortable around them, but it's given me tools with how to cope with it. Because unfortunately, there's these people around us all the time. And, you know, um, I still struggle with the people-pleasing and with difficult personalities, and I'm very honest, and I talk to my sponsor about it, and we'll go through it, and I do what I'm told. You know, because if I listen to my way a lot of the times, it's, you know, not my best judgment. I can give great advice, I can work with my sponsees, but it's easier to tell others or guide others than it is ourselves. So what I do in this program is I talk to people and I ask their opinion or what they think or have you had this, how did you handle it? Because what you start realizing is when we talk, a lot of us have had the same experiences. And it's, you know, how did you deal with it? How did you get through it? And it just is a reminder, we're not alone. You know, we can work together. Um, and, you know, it's just, you know, the gifts of this program. Um, I learned a world, world, word called boundaries, which I never knew existed before. And it was hard, you know, and I know this was really hard for my family, even though they wouldn't say it. But, you know, I got into program and I started putting boundaries down. I never had boundaries. Nothing. You know, none. And 
I know it was really hard, but what has happened consequently is it has improved all of my relationships and has made them better because without boundaries, um, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I need them um, because I will be in behavior that doesn't suit me and then it ends up leading into resentment or anger or jealousy or envy and it just makes me want to check out and then I can't be present. Um, and I've been given the gift of mostly serenity. Do I have every day where I feel peaceful and serene? No. You know, most 95% of the time, yes. You know, I don't really think about food that much. I was today. I was noticing everything around me. But that was because I was nervous about coming up here. I was nervous about speaking in front of people and wanting to spread the message. And, you know, it's the ego and coming up. But you know, I was able to look and say, oh, I'm looking at these things because I'm nervous. And I can distinguish it now, and that's the gift. And I'm just going to read something, and then I'll take some questions if anyone has any. But, um, you know, a lot, I work with four sponsees, and a lot of times there's a struggle. And I always say read the doctor's opinion in the front of the big book. But this piece always brings me to um, my knees. It's just like the wake-up call, like, hello. And there's just one little thing I wanted to um, – Read and you can in your substitute whatever is your food intolerance and it's just something interesting and I have to look at this all the time because I forget my disease wants me to forget and um, I was talking with someone earlier today and I was just saying I said you know it's so easy sometimes when like things are going really well and I'm having a great day I think I'm cured I think ooh I got it and that's when I really have to like you know hunker down and get moving on things. But um, it says, you know, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol, I wrote sugar for me, on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs to the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and they found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence and their reliance upon things human, their problems pile upon them and become astonishingly different to solve. And it was the allergy. You know, I kept trying to fix it. Why can't I fix it? Why can't I fix it? So my body does not react normally to these things, you know. And it's like I had to look at it in the thing like I can have a glass of wine. I don't care about it. I don't think about it. I had the same bottle of champagne in my fridge for eight years. But I know if it was a friend of mine who was an alcoholic, I know how they would react. And so, you know, it's acceptance. You know, they talk about who cares to admit, com um, admit complete defeat. And for a control freak, having to admit that I couldn't control something was actually one of the most freeing things ever because, you know, when you keep trying to control something you can't control, you just get perpetually frustrated, and it doesn't get better. And so sometimes having just to say, okay, I can't do it is, you know, helpful. And those are words I've learned in program. I need help. I can't do it. You know, and I've learned to say those words, and I couldn't say those before. They say the three hardest things to say are, I'm sorry, I love you, and I need help. And I've never had problems saying I love you or I'm sorry, but that I need help to this day. I mean, I was sick a few weeks ago, sick as a dog, and people offered to bring things, and I wouldn't let them because it's so hard for me still. But I'm working on it, and it's the progress, not perfection. And as I say to people I work with, it's the shades of gray, you know. It's not the or, it's the and. And if you can find any little iota of something you could do that you couldn't do before, that's this program. 
and I just feel so grateful and blessed because I don't just get to exist, I get to live, and there's a difference. You know, I don't just get to go through the motions, I get to have a life. And I'm getting things I want, and that scares me too. But I'm willing to deal with it. And I think for me right now, um, I'm really aware that I want a different career path for myself. And I have for a while, but it's at the point now where it needs to happen. So my job is I have, you know, it's the twofold thing. I'm willing to do the action. I need God's direction. And this program is a miracle. And just keep coming back. And, it, you know, they, they say it. It works if you work it. And it's true. And thank you. Mm-hmm. So, we have time for a few questions if anyone has a question. Yes. If you want, or whatever is comfortable for you. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Um, I guess I'm just, what keeps going through my head is I don't know how I'm going to get to a place like, where I'm okay with my body. Like, if my body is just not some, somebody that's going to be, like, naturally, like, really skinny or something, like, like how, like, how did you get to be, like, at peace? Okay, I'll repeat the question for the online speakers. Someone was asking about, you know, body image and how do you get to become at peace with your body. You know, it's still a daily struggle. You know, I think as women, too, having periods and the menstrual thing with all that can really play havoc. But I think part of it is acceptance. You know, I know for me I'm naturally muscular, and I can starve myself to death and still not be a stick figure. And part of it is loving is accepting who I am for who I am. And part of it is, you know, I'll stand in front of the mirror and start saying, you know, like, I love my, you know, my cheeks or I love my elbows. And one of the things I have my sponsees do that I do too sometimes is I'll make a list of all things I like about my body, you know, because it's hard sometimes. But it's the, it's the contrary action. And you just keep, you know, they say, it, you know, fake it until you feel it or, you know, you just keep doing it. Um, but... You know, part of it is, I think, when we become comfortable in who we are as a person, we become comfortable in our body. Because, you know, there was times, and I'm in a bikini in one of those pictures with a knockout body, and I hated myself so much, I didn't want anyone near me, and I was toxic, and it wouldn't have mattered. So I think part of it is getting to a peace. You know, I was um, in Turks and Caicos this summer in the islands. And, you know, I was like, this is what I look like right now, and this is what it is. And I remember I was with some friends, and we were around the pool, and someone wanted something. I said, and she, one of my friends didn't want to get up. She was in a bikini and didn't want to have to wrap herself. I said, I'll get it. I just walked up, and I didn't care. And they both looked at me, and they said, and I said, this is what it is for today. And, you know, I just, I try to give myself the love I would give to others. And part of it is you might need to look in the mirror and, like, you know, and even say, like, I love my cheeks or I love my eyebrows or, like, wow, I have such nice hands, you know. And part of it is you don't have to believe it right away, but you start looking at it. And if someone gives you a compliment and says something nice, just thank you. Not telling them, oh, what are you talking about? Or just thank you. <laughs> thank you, you know. But I really feel that how we feel about our bodies is a reflection of our spiritual how we're feeling spiritually. And if you're feeling spiritually fit and you're feeling loving and kind and peaceful and surrendered, you're going to feel better about your body. Look, I mean, I'm 25 pounds down from when I came in. I want to be a lot thinner. But, you know, I can walk around in my bra and underwear and I feel good. And is it every day? Not every day. 
there's days I'm it, but you know, I have to look at it. But when I feel good about who I am as a person, what I've accomplished, the shell doesn't changes, you know? So it's simple, not easy. So simple, not easy. But um, you know, it gets better. But I just say work the tools, work your steps, you know, pray to God, ask for willingness, and you'll feel better about who you are. <laughs>